Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. This is take three. Oh, yeah, the sniffles. We just did a joke about your sniffles and now we have to repeat it. Yeah. Now we have to pretend like it's a funny joke. Well, oh, I do Jeremy, have bad it sounds like you have the sniffles. Yeah. Welcome to allergy season. Sponsored yeah. by... But it, is it Millhouse on flowers. The Simpsons that he always has allergies? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, I think you're obsessed with <clears throat> casting me as the nerd on this podcast, but I think it's relatively speaking. If you looked like at a data cluster... I'm not saying I'm not a nerd, but, but and, and I'm not saying <laughs> nerd is a pejorative or anything like that. It's, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a term to be proud of, but... I think you do. No, no, your you character. think you're Bart Simpson. I get it. You're skateboarding. No, 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 music. no, 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 no. <laughs> but but your your performance character, which I'm looking at your avatar right now, the white turtleneck and the cut off jeans, it makes it it's perfect for mm. that character to be overstimulated when around nature. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you were saying I- you, you've become quite the gardener. Yeah, I guess so. I'm, I love gardening, I, and I'm yeah. I live in a neighborhood, and my but my garden is is there's like hundreds of flowers and different things going on. So I think that's the source of the allergies. I'm also in Alberta, where there's this huge wildfire. Like it's like record-setting wildfire. So like there's been smoke. Like it, have you seen the movie? You know the new Blade Runner, Runner like the Villeneuve yeah. version. Yeah. That yeah. orange like hazy yeah, texture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It was exactly like that. Like I woke up on. Tuesday morning or Monday morning, and it was like, am I in like Dennis Villeneuve's Blade Runner? So does that mean <laughs> it, it hasn't rained for a while? I mean, we've been in a, apparently a twenty-year drought. Oh, <laughs> it's like it doesn't rain here. No, uh, no. yesterday it rained for uh, literally three minutes, and I I was walking by and some chill. I was walking home from getting ice cream and some kids were like, we really needed the rain. Like they were concerned. <laughs> they were, yeah. The I remember living in California and, and, and when it doesn't rain for a whole year, it's, it does something to you. Like this feels strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I mean, children you, are begging for rain. Yeah. But you grow up in the Netherlands and then if you're a kid, you want to play outside and it's raining all the time and you're annoyed. And, but then now that there's drought, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's raining today, and it definitely felt like it was necessary. In New York? Yeah, it it's strange that New York has this um, reputation of being such a hardcore environment, but actually the weather mm-hmm. is quite practical. Like, it, it rains every now and then, it snows every now and then, but overall it's like you get things done and the, the weather's not in the way. Yeah, it's a temperate climate. It's the perfect Yeah, the, I mean, August is pretty intense, It's uh, but yeah. <laughs> I bet like I mean I mean this was always rain... my dream to have a podcast about the weather yeah yeah exactly just like um who's the director that does that uh is it uh David Lynch isn't David Lynch yeah he, he does the weather um, report yeah yeah you've loved that um but the rain in New York is also refreshing because it washes all the bad smells away right yeah all the human feces and, and such. I mean it's it's so funny how you can look at things and because I had friends from Sweden over in August at some point, and they were walking around Chinatown and like, this is so interesting. <laughs> There's all these smells here. We don't have smells in Sweden. It's all <laughs> relative. Yeah. They just have the smell of pine cones. Not even. It's just everything's mm-hmm. clinical. It's like yeah. the smell of the smell of nothing. Oh, it's like a teenage. They're like teenage engineering smells. Like <laughs> the yeah. smell of freshly minted transistors. Plastics. 
Yeah, yeah. transistors. Did you see the new uh, Teenage Engineering? Um, like, just because this is a podcast, they have a new audio recording device. Have you seen it? It's like no. It made to look like an analog tape player recording device from like the '90s or '80s. Uh-huh. Like it has a little wheel that spins slowly, and you can scrub it. And oh, okay. Big, big clicky buttons and stuff. And it's just to record, like a field recorder. Just like a DAT. Yeah, just like, yeah, exactly. I think they call it the field recorder or something. Okay. I was thinking of us, though. Like, it's like designed specifically for you or I. Um, And then I showed it to a friend, and he was like, I've never heard of this company. I was like, How did you not hear about it? Um, And I think it was you that introduced me to the, remember the OP1, the synthesizer? Yeah, I had one. Do you still have it? Do you still That's have what it? I made the the theme song of this show on. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, now you know. Now I know. Does it still work, or was no, it, did it, it turn it, out to it, be crap? It broke, and then uh, I remember it was expensive at the time. It was seven hundred dollars, so it's like, well, but I I made music with a friend, so it was worth it, and yeah, I think the power supply broke or something, and I was using it less, and I just got rid of it. Then mm. I wanted to get it again. And now it's two thousand. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think it's like two two grand, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So you got a deal. Yeah, But it's the only synth that I know that kind of works as a sketchbook where it just has a recorder and you can record WAV files and just throw them on your computer. And most other synths, you need a a separate recording device. Oh, I see. Or you can record MIDI, but I just wanted to record WAV files. And yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe some of our listeners have a suggestion on... Something similar that's not crazy expensive, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, that can record wave files, like not some kind of like vintage Moog synthesizer. Or no, but like this that. is really uh, the, the 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 size of it is like the size of a laptop keyboard. So it's just something. Yeah. It has a battery. Most synths, are, uh, you plug them in. Most synths are just meant to to be plugged into a bigger station with a recorder and a power supply and headphones or something like that, and the OP1 is just like the iPhone of synths. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to get into like Eurotrack, but I think that's like an obsession once you get into that because it's like into what? The plug into Eurotracks, like Eurotrack synths plug in are synths that plug into other synths and stuff. Oh, okay. Like it's like patch cording synths. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, that wasn't what we were going to discuss today. Um, not that we need to get straight to business, but didn't we had like we have a whole backlog of questions yeah. and people have been sending so we, field we, recordings. We have three questions that we're combining this week. Uh, one of my questions is why do artists always move to bigger projects over time and their organization grows? And then mm-hmm. we have a question from Mark Rabo. Rabo. Uh, Rabo. How yeah. do you think I, he of, used to be? He used to work with me. Okay. And so he, he asks, how do you think about time in your projects? Do you have an amount in mind when you start or do you give things space? So that's one aspect. We, we can think about the flow of time of making a work and, and then whether it's time-based. And then a question from Chris Meusen from Belgium. When I work on something, there's always this big tension between feeling excited or annoyed. So it's kind of asking about the critical voice in your head as you're making things. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're they're all interrelated in some way. Should we start with the time one though? Like Mark's question? Yeah. How we think sure. about time? Yeah. Like so, so how do you think about time? Well, I, I think the first thing about time is is to 
get rid of appointments and uh, commitments in your life. Mm-hmm. That's the only way, I think. You once told me that like, if you have a single video call scheduled for the day, it ruins your whole day. Like, cause you're like waiting for the video call and then it happens. It doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say it ruins the whole day, but I do think interruptions are more than just the time, the half hour that the actual appointment takes. There's this anticipation, and then once I get through yeah. with that, then I can do. I, my, I, the rest I have of my to. Day. Now that we're talking about time, I want to circle back a little bit. That there's always this rumor that I come from immense generational wealth. I heard it again. <laughs> what? What do and you mean? You don't need to dispel this rumor every day. No, and it's fine. <laughs> I don't care what people think about me, but it it is annoying that for me to say things like clear your calendar. Mm. It's like that's easy for you to say, coming from oh, a family see, empire. Yeah. Yeah, you're wearing it's white suits true. all day and you know, lounging. Sorry? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But the the <laughs> point is, when I was in art school, my parents uh, paid for art school and a lot of my friends would have a job so they could do more things. They could go on vacation. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm almost broke. I can only afford peanut butter sandwiches, whatever. Uh, going to school in Europe is not that expensive, whatever. But I always prioritize school. And I was like, I don't want to have a job and then do extra things. So... I'm just trying to say, and after I graduated, I would have day jobs, but just I've always okay, minimized so, my my life, yeah. basically. And so th- that's my method. Other artists have different methods, but my whole, what I'm trying to say, and when I'm trying to say make time for something, I don't mean it only works if you're rich. It's just no, not yeah. This is like it's yeah. been a struggle for you, just like anyone else, to manage their time and figure out the right time. No, it's it's it. not a struggle, but I think I've said no to a lot of things. You know, I don't even have a driver's license, so I never wanted a car. I rode a bicycle. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's up, up to you how you decide. But if, if someone asks me, how do you manage time? I say, you say no to life, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what no, I'm trying to say. That's my only advice. And so you made a different path for yourself. And you said, oh, I'm going to commit to this and et cetera. So your time management is very different. Because I'm, I'm saying we can talk about like... Do you yeah. start in the morning? Do you start in the afternoon? Yeah. But all that is kind of, yeah. All that stuff yeah. is irrelevant when you when the groundwork is different. So you start with your harem, and they're like feeding you grapes, and then what happens next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole time management thing is like, well, if if you want a family and you want a country house and you want to fix up old motorcycles and you also want to make art. That's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, I've said on the podcast before, and actually I shared with a friend, uh, we were having a drink earlier this week, who's, you know, recently pivoted into making films. And they were like, I was like, you know, I remember in art school and they were, they, they gave someone like, look, no, teacher looked me in the eye and gave me this lecture like, Jeremy, you're going to be poor. You're not going to be able to have a house or a family, but you'll get to travel and see the world. And they, they pitched it to me like it was an exciting proposition. And I said, like, fuck that. And she was like... You know, I was trying to hype her up because she had recently pivoted to like full-time art from doing some ARC stuff. And this is someone that's very highly established, like on 40 under 40 lists and like recognized by the government as like the top of their field. And they were like, you know, sharing a moment of self-doubt with me. And I was like, that maybe this is like, we start with the criticality question before we get to time, but like that self-doubt was weighing on their ability to execute as an artist. And, um, like, even though they're the high of the highest esteem and they had worked their way up, like, you know, just to get back what you're talking about from a social background, from like an immigrant family, uh, 
like established themselves through hard work, like perseverance, like, you know, is all, this is someone also who I, I, is always working like 12 hour days. Like they're, if anyone deserves to be successful, it's them, but they were like, but yeah, I, I don't believe in, uh, in art that effort should be rewarded. Well, they weren't thinking of it that way either. Though. No, I know, fact, but but, to, yeah, but it, yeah. it's funny because a lot of artists, especially in the NFT space, will start off saying, "I worked really hard on this, oh, therefore yeah, yeah, you should appreciate it." But but I, what I'm I, saying is, I think a lot of artists start from the position of "I'm not deserving," and then if only I worked harder, I would I would I would finally be deserving of this. Well, maybe maybe we should agree that no one deserves it. Yeah, you always say that. Uh, whereas yeah, I'm like, like who deserves who deserves. It's sitting in a giant room with windows and nice light and, and the whole world has to bring you all the resources so you can sit there and dream. Like No one deserves that. It's not a question of deserving. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. My way of looking at it was like no one... no one Shame is not a useful um, feeling in, in the world. <clears throat> but well, a lot of us are... You're the king of shame, right? Well, a lot of us are obsessed with shaming... And feeling yeah. ashamed of ourselves. And, you know, quite often yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah. just self-directed. And, um, and it holds us back from believing in ourselves, from, you know, having self-worth. You often will hear people complain about those who are, like, self-entitled, to your point, right? But I think that's the minority of people. I really don't... I think it's, like, Kim Kardashian and, like, two other people. And, pro and probably for her... She goes home and like maybe even the Kanye West days, her and Kanye are like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> like, I just can't create, right? Like, um, I don't, I don't think it's easy on anyone. Most people there are their own worst critic. I, I've, I don't think in my life I've met many, many true, true narcissists. Like, well, okay, so here, but my take on it is, is this: no one yeah. knows what is good or bad art. No one truly knows. It's very vague. It changes all the time. It's liquid. So you should give up on even thinking any of your work is good or bad it's right. just what fits at the moment so you just make as much work as possible and then when it's time for an exhibition or a book you look at yeah. your inventory and then you think well this would be the right fit right now and that has nothing to do whether the work is good or bad you just the only thing i think the true emotion you should have is curiosity and so it, you you're like you close your eyes and you're like what am i most curious about and you make it and then yeah. you make the next thing and you keep making and you don't even think about what is good. Well, or that bad gets back to the, the time thing, right? Like the, 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 there's no time like the present a, and you like a, a lot of times people will be like, well, I don't have anyone that's asking me to make anything. Right. Like I, I have a sister who's a painter and unless she, you know, I was like trying to get her in the habit of making things. Cause she's like, well, I don't have any shows or anything. And then I was like, well, why don't you just start painting every week and see what happens? And then before long, she had enough paintings that she could have a studio visit. And then that studio visit turned into a show and then the show sold out. And then, I, and then I visited her like a year later and I was like, Hey, so are you still painting? She's like, no, I, I haven't really had time for it. It's like, well, you were on this track. Like it was working. Um, but, but you then, really have, there's, yeah, there's a habit but, too. Um, I do think there's a, a thing where if you're making work and no one ever gives you anything back, there's yeah. no compliments, there's no excitement, there's nothing around your work. There are examples yeah. of artists that persevere even though no one cares, but overall, yeah. uh, I, I remember sharing things online in the beginning 
and I wasn't sure if it was good or bad, but it got a lot of response like, oh, this is really funny, this, I, this is interesting, or whatever, and I sent it to my friends, and we, we enjoyed looking at it, and of course, when that happens, you, you get excited too, so... Well, I was watching an interview of, with an... In, yeah, an interview with an artist, like on Art 21, which we mentioned last week, actually, and they were like, uh, I, I believe in an 80-20 rule, I have to, 80% of what I make is crap, but I have to make it to get to the 20% that's cream, right? And so yeah. Yeah. we've talked about that before. Like you have to make bad work to make good work. It's not possible but, to have like a hit every but, single time. But the, I think this this term bad work and good work is irrelevant. So if, if we could say... Well, work um, you're happy with, I think, is another way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, but like, not even because you, you don't know yet. So I, I think mm-hmm. a problem of you trying to be your own audience is... Um, mm. You know, like you can't cut your own hair. Let's put it that way. Even if you have a mirror, it's better for someone else because they can see three-dimensional, etc. I think it's like that. Don't cut your own hair. And so the reception of the work is up to the audience and you should not try to control that. And so you should just make work, put it out there, see what happens and keep going. And it it sounds so uh, mundane or banal or whatever, but it really is up to just just make what you... Yeah, a little insight around like because Mark who asked the question around time, I kn- I know that he was he he mentioned to me in a separate uh, email that like he's been working on an app for years called Revere. People want to check it out. It's like a note taking app, but like he w- used to think it was going to be this rocket ship kind of of growth. Maybe Mark's not comfortable with me sharing this, but like now he's just like no, you know what? I just want to tailor this over time and like. It's a you know it's a nice thing to work on and I believe in it. I don't care if it if over if it takes me twenty years, but this is something that I want to get per I want to get perfect right. And so, but I remember having these conversations in software because in software companies, there's this obsession with hyper growth right. And then you know that if you know if we just push harder because the competition's right at our backs. We have to capture yeah, the demand and, and right it's, now. It, someone has to win in the category, and the number two doesn't even yeah. matter. Yeah, exactly. But I'd always have this debate with our CEO. This is back at FreshBooks. And I was like, I was like, do we want to make the world's like perfect surfboard? Like, it's just like, like it's sanded to perfection. It surfs the wave really well. And like, no one's going to ever like the, the, the competitive advantage will be we care more about the detail. This is almost like a teenage engineering thing, right? Versus like, do we want to just create like a plastic throwaway or styrofoam? you know, wave board in, in which case super we could cheap. do like super cheap, yeah. like push it out. Like, and honestly, the answer wasn't obvious. <laughs> and I, so we'd have this debate over and over again. And I think that's kind of the logic, you know, when you're thinking about a time horizon for a new project, you're thinking like, ah, this is going to be the one, the one that I get perfect. Right. Yeah. But I, uh, I think when you say the one you're, you're setting yourself up for frustration. So, but it, I'm just uh, coming up with these arguments as we're talking. I, I didn't think about this before, but I think a I big so, part of I it... I didn't prepare either. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's not like I already talked to someone about this and had this idea. Right. But, but I really think it's about letting things happen instead of saying, I want to reach this destination. And I think that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And so every day, if, and that's what I mean with like, clearing your life of, of distractions and say, okay, I'm going to force myself every day for three hours. I'm just going to stare at the computer or stare at the sketchbook and see what I have and see what I'm most interested in and work on that. Yeah. And 
that's all you can do. And that, well, no, it's funny. That, yeah. Let, let's put it this way: like maybe for some people, the goal is helpful to get started. But I think overall, uh, in more cases, it leads to frustrations. Like I was going to paint a masterpiece, and it didn't come out the way I thought it was. And yeah, no, I would say that I've like every time I've tried to do something like very long term. Not every time, it's actually. I, I, there's no hard and fixed rule, but a lot of times I end up disappointed because I'm just trying to hammer a piece of metal that's all dented. I mean, it, you know. Yeah, to me, your, your best work is when you were just messing with the webcam and not knowing what you were doing and uh, yeah so I, yeah i still do that I mean, kind of stuff but, you know. yeah but in in that case there's there's no um you start and there's no expectation mm-hmm. it's funny because i was in you know i was in germany for a performance but i didn't mention the other thing i was there for were these workshops and the workshops were about responding in real time and making work um right after watching something so we'd go to these plays and then the idea is like that literally we'd walk out of the theater and then we'd have to make a work together in response to the, the, the play or dance that we had just seen. And the, you know, people really struggled let the artists that we had included in this program, even though that was just the premise, like just make something, it doesn't even matter what it is right after seeing this thing. And the first couple of days there was less, just like a lot of like, well, should we be doing this? What should we be doing? And I was like, just commit to trying. <laughs> like, why not commit to the idea that you don't know? Yeah. And then well, and, and, it was and funny. The, the reason yeah. the reason to go into the area that you don't know is that most of the world functions with what we know and functions with structures and companies and organizations and this is the goal, this is yeah. the time span and et cetera. And I find it interesting that art is this other realm where you discover things intuitively. And so I think intuition is a very underappreciated, interesting thing. It's hard to compute. It's hard to calculate. But I think when you follow intuition, you can... um, you can yeah. discover things that you can't in a in in the normal world, in the company well, structure or in the school structure. Yeah. Yeah. What was funny is like one of the works that I created with a, an artist. Um, I got a notification a couple of weeks ago. They're like, and it was an augmented reality lens, like a filter. It had had over a hundred thousand plays, <laughs> like mm. so it had been used a hundred thousand times, which was a record for me. And we created it in we just had a coffee and did it in like an hour together and so yeah but the, but what's interesting yeah. then is is there was a lot of response from the audience and then the reaction of a company would be let's make more stuff like this but yeah, for you like, maybe oh, interesting it, it, yeah. it wasn't maybe i don't know maybe it was your most interesting work maybe it wasn't but maybe you that's a good and, point like yeah no and no so, it's a really good point i think as an art as art at least for me as an artist even if i have a hit i just move on to the next one and i don't like try and scale the hit like you know, I might do a series. That would be the best case scenario. But I think the difference between art, because I remember I did this, that incubator or accelerator for artists. And I had one artist, that, uh, Shawnee Meekley Holloway, that we, we created like a strap-on harness together. And there was a lot of interest and press and people wanted to give Shawnee money to like develop it into a full product. And then I remember Shawnee saying to me like, yeah, but this to me is just a project. Like I don't want it to take over my whole life. There are other things I want to try. And I think... For a lot I of artists, I think the same happened like, to Constant Dullard with the Daltech player, and then he's like, "Oh, this kind of yeah. started as a joke, and now I'm just shipping things all day, and I'm like a mini company." <laughs> yeah, and so I, I mean, one of the beautiful things about an artist is like failure, or not failure, but let's say like um, 
it's not about success for a lot of artists. It's not about yeah. like achieving some kind of massive scale. Um, I mean, uh, to the... me, the, the only true measure in life is fun. Like, is it, is it fun? Mm-hmm. Do I want to do this? Do, do I want to or do I have to? That's a big difference. Right. But do you think that that has um, like a measurable impact on the quality of what you produce or you're saying it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. Like what really matters is that there's a, a voice, the intuition, and that's your true, hopefully, I don't know. It's, it, the intuition also gets um, stimulated by money or praise or other things. So you're like, oh, yeah. people love this. I should make more of it. But it is the, um, there's something about intuition and following intuition that is dreamy and unpractical and interesting. And to me, if you follow intuition and you're having a good time, that's the reward already. So yeah, because also like, and that goes back to the question of criticality. Like, who cares if it's good or bad? There's something inside of you that wants to make that. And so yeah. whatever happens after that is fine but you want to make think it that and that's that's, that's really, the reward itself it's a really good point too because like honest and historically anyway the recognition might not even come in your lifetime like you know if yeah you're truly i think that's joyful, an exception but i think that's an exception but i think you have of course to it is, but it, it but you have to realize that, that, that it doesn't matter but the reward thing is also not it's a it's a question what okay if you're focused on the reward, you're like, what do I have to do to get the reward? Then yeah. you might not be enjoying yourself and you might not get the reward. But if you do what you want to do, you might also get the reward, but you've already had the reward, which was the making itself. And then if you don't get yeah. the the car or the Academy Award or whatever, who cares? You had fun making it. So There is this kind of like leap of faith though required, you know, in that mindset, right? Which is like... Win or lose. Yeah, but no, no one says that when you matter. go. When you go, um, let's say you go do karaoke. You're not waiting yeah. for a reward. You have fun doing it. No, I know, I get that. But if you're starving to death, like you know, you the the wait for the reward yeah, might be the. But there are examples of about, right? there, are, there, are, and that goes back to my argument of paring down your lifestyle. There's tons of examples mm-hmm. of people having a job. Uh, Jan Schoonhoven is a pretty well-known artist from the Netherlands who made these. Kind of before minimal art, he made these paper mache structures and he always made them on his kitchen table and he had a job at the post office. He, he was just a postal clerk. Mm-hmm. And he broke through maybe age 40 or later. He was in some biennials and it started selling really well. But he liked the structure of the day job. So he kept his day job until his retirement age and just never, never changed that because also, if you see the work, it's all these geometric structures. But he was never tempted to say, oh, I should scale my practice and etc." So he never made a work bigger than his kitchen table because he made everything on his kitchen table. Yeah, yeah. And so that's an example of someone uh, when people say, oh, I wish I had time to make work. He's a very successful, relevant historical artist who was recognized in his lifetime. He, was friends with Fluxus and all that stuff and friends with Kusama and that was the context. And he had a full-time day job. So th- this whole idea that you you have to yeah. make enough money to not have a day job, etc. It's just not true. But I, yeah, and I don't, but I don't think that's the frame of the question. The question is like time horizon against a single project versus many yeah, 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 yeah. or yeah. 
or yeah. just you no, know, but a this quick is sketch the, this is yeah. my question. What I'm trying to say with this is that people think I think in both questions of the question of the critical inner voice and time for a project, mm. they all come from what expectations. And and um, if you well, expect procrastination like, is the is the worst form of inner criticism, right? It's like yeah, it's not ready yet. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is if you really let go of the idea of good and bad and if you really let go of the idea of scarcity, like, oh, if mm -hmm. I don't win the game, I'm not going to be taken seriously or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think your chances of winning are bigger when you stop caring. Yeah, sometimes I wonder whether, like, I'm biased by previous success that way. Like, where, uh, like over time, I've cared less and less. And and then sometimes projects just, like, pop up and it, and it works out. And um, But I used to... I, I had early success in my art career, like like much earlier than most, I think. And it, I actually haven't been as successful, to your point, as when I was just like as loose as possible. And getting back to that level of looseness ends up becoming like an obsession. Like we we're kind of discussing it as, it as if it's like it's easy, well, but it a, does require training to yeah, be loose. There's a there's a fearlessness when you're young because you have less to lose. Yeah, and I, I think we've talked about that before, and I, I think I agree. I just wonder what the conditions are that prevent that from happening over time. Like maybe it's this expectation once you have success that you have to maintain it. But then, you, you know, like the reason I'm saying that might be biasing my opinion is like, what if you didn't have success early on and you're still searching for it? And by success, I mean just like, the. I think as an artist, it's the opportunity to show your work and for people to say like, I enjoyed your work. And I, I know... yeah. For me, anyway, that's a value. I don't know if that's a value to you, but I do but, appreciate. But okay, so my that. argument is that the success is making the work; it's not the reception of the work. I know, but you can't deny that, like, when people receive your work well, it feels good. That's all I'm saying, right? Like, there's yeah, a certain... it it kind of does, but I'm saying if you really, I think the chances of external success are bigger if you appreciate and respect the making as the goal in itself. So if you're yeah. grateful that you have the chance to make the work and spend the time and do it and you're like, oh, I did it. Yeah. And that's the that was my task. And everything that happens after that is a possible bonus, but I'm not expecting it. Yeah. Then yeah, it's almost your chance like, um... I, I'm, all I'm saying is that if you expect less, you might get more on average that as a strategy. No, for sure. I'm pretty sure that's how yeah. like you know, Mother Nature thought about. But then again, you know. if you look at some of the mo world's most famous artists, they're complete egomaniacs and very goal driven and etc. So what I'm saying might not be true. No, I mean, I mean, there's, there's the example. I, I think there was a uh, documentary on Richard Mapplethorpe, the photographer. Yeah. And he had the same account. Have I, have I been oh. wrong saying Mapplethorpe? Just maybe it's I a Canadian no idea. bias. Well, okay. there's two P's in it, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Or is it one P? Thanks for keeping the flow of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. But, but he had the same accountant as Andy Warhol, and he was obsessed, and he kept going to the accountant, and he couldn't say anything, but he's like, do I have more money than Andy? Do I have more money than Andy? And Oh, really? Yeah. And, and another example is uh, Basquiat, who really cared about status and fame, and he's someone who looked like he had so much fun in the studio and so spontaneous, but he really wanted to be with the Castelli gallery and he wasn't accepted and he was heartbroken and ended up 
dying way too young and was really suffering. So what I'm saying is if you, even if you are that talented like Basquiat and that successful, you can still, your critical voice can still basically kill you. It's not a, mm. it's not a joke. It's a, it's, I'm not saying, I'm not taking this lightly. It's, it, it can really literally mean end your life. That's how, that's how severe the critical voice can be. No, I think, I think you're right. I think in most cases it manifests as uh, procrastination or not doing, meaning like but, it's, yeah, why but it me? can also kind of... manifest at obsessive working at a pace that kills you, like Jason Rhodes mm-hmm. or other artists, uh, Mike Kelly, and, and yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, we've talked about that too in terms of like mental health in um, in the arts. It's like it's not uh, for the faint of heart, uh, but I also <laughs> think I'm. But imagine like, if people were killing themselves over karaoke, because it's it's just as irrelevant as karaoke. You're like, oh, I sang out of tune. I need to kill myself. Like that, it's as ridiculous to take art the same way as karaoke. It's really the same thing. Yeah, but like uh, like I have a uh, someone I work with. You know, I manage them, and they're a musician, and that they're well, they're an artist. Let's just say, right? Like, and they they're really upset that they don't have enough time for their art, right? So we're, we're negotiating like a part-time agreement for them, which is such a big, but even as soon as we started talking about the idea that they could work part-time, it was almost like a weight okay. got lifted off their shoulders and they started working better and happier, right? Like, yeah. Well, this is a good segue, but it's something I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about with time. It, it, mm-hmm. It's it's exactly this because there's this dream when you start out like oh if I'm successful I'll have so much time and it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. If you get to a certain level of success, you're managing your studio and all the big projects and press and investment and all these things takes up so much time you don't have time to make your work anymore. So mm-hmm. people who think they don't have time at the beginning, they might look back at their career and be like, man, I had so much time then. Yeah, I think that's the power of art school, right? Is like that it's boring, you know, like hopefully. Yeah, but even after that, like you you might be quite busy. You might have two jobs and children and et cetera. Yeah. But you still have more time than you think. And then uh, someone like Oliver Eliasson might have zero time to really, like he has to leave the art making to the studio, uh, to, to the people in the studio. He might not have time for it. I mean, it does come back to that, like our teacher that I was like, fuck off. That was like, you can't, you won't have a family. But for a lot of artists, that ends up being true because children are a lot of work, right? Like it's just, it, and it, it, they soak up a lot of time and they should. Well, you like, call it work, meaning. but for, for some people it's, it's fun. It's so joyful. It just depends yeah. on your attitude. Yeah. I mean, you do meet the odd parent that was an artist and like is really upset and resents their children. <laughs> And yeah, I've, yeah. I've definitely met those artist parents. And I'm like, I, I've definitely mm-hmm. met artists that they say children are amazing and uh, it's a very creative thing and it's etc. But they do say most parents have this empty nesting thing when the children leave and parents are like, oh boy, we're turning the, the, this room into a <laughs> studio again. I'll have all the time in the world. And yeah. Yeah, I've also heard that kids can help you prioritize your time because we do like, you know, waste a lot of time, so to speak. Exactly. Waste, That's my point. You know, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's funny when you meet people and they're like, oh, I wish I could be a full time artist. And then they'll tell you all the shows they binge watch. OK, but I, here's the, the question I want to get out of you, because like 
you know, as a full-time artist, you get to set the time horizon. Do you actually, this is a question. Would, do you get to, and this is a kind of a leading question. Do you get to set the time horizon for your work or is it dictated by a deadline that someone sets for you? Like, cause you, you're, are you self-imposing? You create a lot of stuff, right? I think you're doing one thing a week these days, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm doing so, a drop every two weeks. Yeah. But do you start those like two years before or do you start? Yeah. 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 I, it, the, the, so I make things all the time and they're sitting in folders. So there's, when I was making music, I would have a folder with melodies. And uh, if I'm making animations, I have maybe rough animations or storyboards. I would say I have about 40 unfinished works in a folder of which maybe 20 are 99% done. And the reason I built my own platform is I kept emailing Artblocks. It's like, I have so many projects ready. Can, can we do a drop? And they're like, no, we have a long queue, etc. And so I, the reason I set up this two-week cadence is because I have so many works ready to go. I wouldn't say mm. I'm going to do two-week cadence if I didn't have that because I don't like that pressure. So yeah. to your question, I, I never work towards a deadline. Never, ever, ever. I, I can't be creative under a deadline. It, well, even with your museum show the other day? or Yeah, that was all work that I'd made before the show. And then yeah. that's what I'm saying. I, that's it's a good exactly, point. But it's exactly what I'm saying. I made a bunch of works that I had no idea if they were good or bad. I don't mean that as, as to sound enlightened or... I just, mm -hmm. I really do not know. Like, my best works, I think, afterwards, in retrospect, are the ones I was really not sure about so the horizons were the center of the show it was something on my computer that i showed to my gallery in amsterdam and they're like oh that's a great project i really didn't i was like mm -hmm. i don't know if this is something and that's my point like i make yeah. i make a ton of stuff and i show it to people or i release it some things i get energy yeah. back some things i don't but i really have no clue if it's good or bad it's Honestly. that zen gardener thing too like good luck bad luck you just don't know right like and yeah. is it worth worrying about knowing? Yeah, but it, you know? it, but you really like how could you know? It, I really think it's like cutting your own hair. I can't see the back of my head. Yeah, I think it's it's a chaos theory kind of thing or principle like that. No, it's intuition. So I think I think it's it, I think you can only follow intuition if you're open. Yeah, but I believe like intuition is like you know kind of the subconscious synthesis of yeah. reality, right? So it's like you're yeah. taking all the noise and you're just like taking a best guess stab at what you're perceiving so that's why i say like within all of the variables that exist on the planet it's like there are infinite combinations of good and bad and also there are infinite combinations of the evaluation of those things and so it's like in the end if you if you're not having fun or if you're not happy to your point earlier it, it, well, it's so it's almost absurd when you think. I think about the, it the, the corporate the corporate landscape sometimes clarifies things because it's it's more relatable for a lot of people. So, the example is of, of Sony <laughs> in the seventies was a very free form organization, and they came oh, up with all these great yeah. ideas. And then, yeah. the Clayton Christensen book talks about in the late seventies, early eighties, they hired all these American MBAs that came to the company and said, oh, you can make a lot of money if we make the organization more efficient. And like, what's all this R&D stuff? Yeah, that's useless. We don't need that. We're going yes. to trim on the margins and everything's going to be more profitable. And it was more profitable. So the shareholders are happy. And now they're dead in the water. They're not inventing stuff. And 
uh, other This is a very important topic to me. Very important. Yeah. And so <laughs> this is, something this I is exactly what I mean about expectations. When you make mm-hmm. a spreadsheet and say, all right, you've got five minutes for R&D. Invent the next iPhone. Yeah. It's not going to work. Sorry, it's just not. I can share a story on this if it's of interest uh, from a it corporate setting. It is of setting. interest. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that uh, I had a question at a town hall this week, and it was about a, a product that we're working on. And... Uh, it, you know, it's a, what's called a zero to one product, which means you start with nothing and then you try and find, you try and make it something and something means like customers But that means it's it. something new because it's from yeah, zero? Yeah, it's something new, yeah. zero to one. Yeah. And okay. the person was like, is this thing an experiment? How will we know? Uh, like, what are the goals? How will we know when the experiment is successful? And I, so the, my answer to the question was, well, we are a research and development department, R&D. That, like, that's the department I work in. And everything we do is an experiment. It is all research. And what we are, what we, are on, we, we have hypotheses about what we think will work, but we have 0% certainty at the start of anything, we st- you know, any project. It's a blank it's check. Work. Yeah. Yeah. We have some evidence to support it might work, but it is all experiments. And then it's the speed at which we conduct experiments that you know, allows us to get more and more confident over time. But, you know, I can't sit here at the beginning of a project and tell you it's going to be successful. But I can tell you that we will find a way, you know, to either determine whether it could be successful or not. Right. And it's a kind of an unsatisfying answer. However, like what I what I've encouraged teams to do for many years is like exactly what you talk about doing as an artist, which is like have fun in the smallest unit of time possible for you to learn what you want to do next. And so with yeah. this team in particular, they were do they were operating on like three month cycles. And I was like, could we get that down to two month two two weeks or even a week or even two days? And that you're just and you're not worried about anything other than those two days. And then worrying the next two is days. exactly the word. Like take away the worries. And you can't take away the worries by um it it's really something I don't know if it's a personality thing or what it is, but it, the, another example is, is Xerox Park developing the, the graphics user interface and, and Ethernet networking. Mm. Yeah. And then Steve Jobs, the cunning businessman, walking in and saying, oh, let's put these parts together and market it and make it more uh, user-friendly and scale it and all yeah. this. So there's a, there's a different personality who will walk into the lab where sure. the, dreamy, the dreamy dreamers are having fun and he's like, <laughs> I want that, that, and that. Let's scale it. Yeah. Yeah. But he was also, um, like, there's a great uh, lesson for artists in Steve Jobs' method, which was to hyper-focus an organization on no more than one or two projects a year at the scale of Apple, right? Like, he would be like, the first thing he did was cut everything and made the company focus on one thing. You know how hard that is to do, by the way, in a company? Mm. Mm-hmm. It is almost like people think you're crazy. Yeah, but it's and, the same. I have a lot of friends who make all kinds of work and they're like, ah, I'm so, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what you pick, but just do one thing for a year and go really deep with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the depth versus breadth thing, like, and so you could do, if you took my experiment thing from earlier, you could say like, well, let's do a hundred experiments across a hundred different opportunities. And that's the way a lot of companies work. And it's kind of the Amazon method. But Apple and then more recently, Airbnb and other companies have started to adopt an Apple strategy, which is like, 
we're going to get the whole company working towards a single or two goals a year on one single product release. Like remember when releases happened, like Photoshop, you know, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0—that kind of fell out of style. But it's actually coming back because companies mm. have become so distracted uh, by like random experiments and directions that don't make any sense to the consumer. Like the customer can't even understand. And Steve Jobs had this kind of like um, obsession with like, if it's more things than I can remember, how do we expect our customers to remember what we're working on? Yeah, and I think yeah. that's even true for an artist. Like, if you have more projects than a curator can hold in their head, more ideas, like you might be working on too many things at the same time, yeah. right? And, it, but then and it's it, hard to it, do it, anything it, well. One thing I love about art is that there's absolutely no rules or examples. Of course, really, of course, yeah. it's really personal. So there's examples of, of artists like um, Onkavara just having three well, or that's four obsessive, lines of work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that and that's great too. And then there's artists like Mike Kelly, and they're like making music and films and installations and paintings and everything at the same time, and it's collaborative, and and both can be very interesting. So there's no clear winning strategy. That I, yeah, and that's something. Well, I, there is one. There's one winning strategy, which is finish something. <laughs> like I mean, you could take a whole lifetime to make something, and I'm I'm sure that would be. Well, that that goes back to my argument of of emptying out your life like I, I don't think there's anything um, I, I don't think there's an example of an artist who didn't do that I think you can add stuff to your life later but I think when artists get started they they empty out their life they might have a day job but then yeah like okay I'm not taking calls most artists don't watch TV or, you know what I mean like there's something you have to say no to something yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's always been especially in the setting beginning. aside yeah. studio time. Yeah, especially in the beginning. If you don't have a practice, which it, and I, I like the word practice generally just because it means that you're never, it's ne you're never perfect and you repeat the, 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 the one trial work, over and over again. Yeah, the, the, work, the word practice, I always had a little bit of a problem with it. That it sounds pretentious to you. No, no, that it's... Um, it, it's related to the word practical, and then there was the word theory. Oh, and it kind of okay. it kind of implies that the thinking is done by theorists, and the practice part is kind of this primitive creature who's. Just, and I don't think practicing art is a practical endeavor. I think mm. it's a theoretical endeavor in a different language than the spoken language. So, when you think of Mondrian painting over the years and going towards abstraction. I don't think yeah. that's a practical path. That's a theoretical path, but it's in in painting. But it's theoretical, at the same time as practical. So it's um, that's I I like the idea of practicing and and repetition and and thinking through doing. But I do think we have to be cautious not to think of it as a just like oh I like to be busy. I, yeah. Yeah, I think it's because I went to school with photographers during my during graduate school, and you know they would. They would um, insist that like being a good photographer was not about how well you could take a picture. It was about how well you could recognize a picture that you had taken and like, you know, so editing and basically that you should always be taking pictures because you never know what you might. But I do think to, that's know. maybe that, that's a really good analogy, the photographer, because the if you take lots of photos, at some point you're so exhausted of taking photos, you're not thinking anymore, and that's where you want to get. Like you're so open, you're just taking. Yeah. And you can, 
And I think that's a really interesting, um, clear example when we talk about the critical voice. Like, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. You're collecting all these images or impulses or thoughts, and the camera is a nice metaphor for that. You're just capturing mm -hmm. all these moments. And later, you can edit, and it's not about whether the photo is good or bad, but it's, does this photo do something in this occasion? Well, people always use that language, speak to you. You know, it's kind of cheesy, but... I think what it means is like, are you in dialogue? Like, is there something that you find like interest? It could be interesting or transcendent. It, you know, yes. there's a spectrum. Yeah. But that's what the speaking means. It means like you didn't see it in the first place. You only see it after like it, it responds to it. Like it's a two way thing. I, I'm having a hard time describing, but like, I, I think as an artist, I've, that's when I'm having fun. You know, you asked, you talked about fun earlier. We very rarely actually describe what that means. Um, but, you know, people like Sudoku, you know, and uh, the puzzle aspect we've talked about, right, to a certain extent. And so, like, for me, it's the speaking back that gets me to question something that I assumed earlier, right? And that assumption did come from just the capture, right? Like, uh, like not even thinking about it. But then the thinking later is actually what I find fun. So mm -hmm. I don't know, like if, if I yeah. find it, I don't know if you find that fun or if it's just like for, you know, cause fun's not water slides in, in terms of what we're talking about right now. It's not like thrill or excitement necessarily. No, but it is fun is, is let's say I open up Netflix and I go through the menu. It makes mm -hmm. me feel like I'm on an airplane killing time. It's really not fun. It's just like, ah. Uh, yeah, so I it's mean, very clear to, to me that, that making something yeah. is more fun than going, looking at Netflix. It has happened recently for me that like some like, for example, video games, which I would have found thrilling and exciting as a child. Every like I, and I, I subscribe to like this Xbox thing where they give you new games for free every week. And I like look through the games. And I'm like, each of these seems like a tedious chore. <laughs> and I'm like, work. why am I doing this? Like, I, what is yeah. the search here? You know, like I'm searching for some thrill, but like, actually this is work now. The, like yeah. traditional fun feels like work to me. It's such a weird yeah. reversal. But I wonder I remember, if there's, there's a yeah. media fatigue if people are exhausted. Well, even, I think even for me now, especially with my eye condition, like I'm trying to find a new creative voice that's not, like tied to the screen because it's hard on my eyes. Um, and I've been doing some drawings and things like that. And I, I shared a drawing with a friend and like, you should be drawing more. And I was like, well, no one's ever told me that. Right. But like, um, sometimes you feel like you don't have access to, if I only had the right camera, if I only had the best computer, um, but the joy can come in many forms. Uh, and, and I think like this is getting back to the critical voice, just that like, as an art, as an artist, we're so lucky. You're just like so lucky, right? Like you are too, Raf. Like that you can find joy in what others might find mundane. But like you said before, if you sit down with a sketch pad and a pencil or pen, it can be torture. But if you start the line, the you know it can be fun. Um, like the it's yeah. the white page that's torture. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's I don't know if it, I think everybody can have fun in many realms, but. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I'm having yeah. fun gardening these days, so. Yeah, know. exactly. Some people might find that a chore. I I'm in that category. Yeah. Well, cuz you don't have a garden. Like Yeah, but I, I 
it doesn't interest me. No. <laughs> no. You know what's interesting about it is it's like you have like this is a side an aside, but like it's like a little it's a bit like painting because you have like a color palette, but it takes like six months for the color or, to or emerge. ten years, right? Yeah, or ten like years. A tree, yeah. a so, tree takes ten years. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm. I mean, I inherited a garden in this new house. You're right? basically doing landscape painting in, in in a very slow time span. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I personally find that really rewarding, but um, I'm an old yeah. lady, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so maybe the, this this topic of the artist uh, going towards becoming a factory and organization, we can save that for next week. Yeah, well, you know, Andy Warhol, like bit of news actually on the because the Andy Warhol comes to mind when you mentioned factory is, you know, did you hear about him losing uh, his copyright suit? I mean, after death. No, what <laughs> uh, happened? Prince, uh, basically, like there's a photo of Prince that like Andy Warhol made a silkscreen print from. Prince, the, the recording it. artist. Yeah, yeah, the artist okay. formerly known as Prince that's now known as Prince again. And um, the there was a counterclaim that like, Andy Warhol didn't own that image and therefore, you know, and, but Andy Warhol was like, well, I've created an artwork of unique value because I've, you know, interpreted this image, um, like by, you know, changing the colors and stuff. Anyway, the, I guess it, I think it went all the way to the Supreme court and they decided, um, that it, it that, that in fact, no, it wasn't, it wasn't protected by, you know, the, by artists, right? So what way. are the consequences? Did they have to destroy the paintings? No, I think there's like a fine. The foundation has to pay uh, to oh. Prince. <laughs> Humans are insane. It's like someone yeah. died and they still sue them. It's crazy. But the funny thing is they're like, the judge even w recorded that like the Campbell soup cans were different from Prince. And the reason was Prince had an intention. The photographer that took the photo of Prince had an artistic sure. intention. Yeah, yeah. And that didn't. That wasn't of less intent than Andy Warhol's. However, it was yeah. the it was the first intent of the image. Can you imagine so. an, an an alternate universe where someone says any appropriation art must be destroyed? That'd be funny. They go into MoMA and in their archive. It's like okay, set it I on think fire. We're heading there. I mean, the AI debates are going to lead us to something like that. Uh, it's yeah. either one that way or the well, opposite. Uh, that's another topic. But I think extrapolation. Yeah. It always leads to worry if you start p trying to predict the future. And I think that's yeah. part of the anxiety that we're talking about art making. You're trying to predict the future like, oh, if this line is blue, I'll be rich. And if this line is red, I'll be poor. That's what that your is mind a good, is good doing. Point. And yeah. it's, it's the Sony example. It's the like example that I've experienced. And like, honestly, yeah. I'm not a popular corporate leader because I'm like, people are asking me like, how can we find a million dollars? And I was like, mm, I don't know. Like, I, but here's what I can do for you. I can take 1 million. I can turn it into a billion, but you, there's like only a one in 100 chance we're going to achieve that goal. <laughs> so, um, yeah. it doesn't make me a very like popular cause I'm not the MBA, right? I'm the artist, but it's, it's worked in my corporate life a few times. Right. And people get yeah. angry at me. Like I've worked with an MBA. Did I ever tell you this? And you, like, and I, you feed on the anger. Yeah, I can see Jeremy like in your outfit with all these AR objects. And the more they get angry, the, you bulk up. Ah, oh, give me your anger. Yes. Well, I had an MBA that I worked with and they were like, they had basically decided that. You love it when, they, that, when you upset them, right? Well, yeah, they, they had decided that I was the worst person on the planet. And I was like, I had decided the same. Like, And you're like, I matter. <laughs> No, well, what I was like, 
did you create a hundred million dollar revenue business? No. Like, so fuck the fuck off. Like yeah. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Uh, sorry for swearing kids. <laughs> no, we do no, have a good. field recording, right? We have a, yeah, we a, do. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually, I like it. Um, the New Jersey suburbs. Yeah. Like it's very, I'm kind of in a New Jersey suburb or at least I'm living so in a neighborhood now where like, it's a field recording of longtime friend of the podcast, Jonathan Lewis. And, uh, yeah, we've been in, in touch over various topics and he sent this, it, I think it's his daughter asking for a friend neighbor's in daughter, neighbor's yeah. daughter calling for the other neighbor's daughter, which is like such yeah. a, now that I'm on the ground, like I used to live in a tower. I live on the ground now. I, I, to, I quoted children earlier. I never heard kids before. <laughs> <laughs> These creatures. <laughs> yeah. But they are like a sonic soundscape. It like, you know, anyway, I, I yeah. love, I love being in a neighborhood with kids. So this is a, this is kind of a nostalgic, uh, field recording. Thanks, Jonathan. I, I, I think that's the bottom line is, um, Children are the best artists because they have no responsibilities. Yeah, we just need someone to take... This is the, it's the U- universal basic income debate. I see what you're yeah. doing here, Jonathan. I'm not you're, so you're sure co- after COVID how excited <laughs> people are about UBI, but... Yeah. yeah, and recessions and stuff. And inflation we'll and all that stuff, yeah. yeah. I'm not an economist, but it does seem like things got a little more expensive after COVID. After they yeah, injected seven trillion, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it seems like I don't, I don't. Guess want to what go happens? Down that. You, you said this is not a political podcast. So you're not a made, let's no. make it a right wing political podcast. <laughs> no, but anyway, no. um, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks to our listeners, and thanks to everyone who's sending in questions. I almost feel like they were trying to pep us back up. They, they were trying to motivate yeah. uh, our listeners. So Great. thank you, listeners, for having our back. And uh, please keep sending stuff Much in. I love the field. Re- I, I want more field recording, especially it's summer. We're outside. Let's get some of that. That you know, wherever well, you, you should are, order in the, world, the teenage you... engineering thing and uh, lead by example. Yeah, I know it's like two grand for this tape recorder, but I'm thinking about it. But you're rich. I'm not rich. You always brag no, about love, how, much, how much, how safe you are, and all your real estate properties, and how how on a great trajectory. And then it's like it's about a diversified time to buy portfolio. a two thousand dollar item. You're like no. Please keep that a secret. Uh, like if when I if and sometimes it does slip among the whole myth in, that, in like, that I'm the rich one is not true. You're the rich. One. <laughs> I'm not rich. I'm a, a basically like even Stephen with your like house a, poor. A, a, yeah, I'm, I'm house poor. I'm just a middle class regular person. Yeah, <laughs> and I spend it, it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, thanks, Raf, for a great conversation. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye.